Welcome, Rink Rats, to this Blackhawks Hockey Rinkcast episode 17, exclusively sponsored by the premium hockey outfitters at puckhockey.com. That's P-U-C-K-H-C-K-Y.com. Use that discount code, the rink for 10% off on all of your orders. And just recently, we received some good news, which I think we may be seeing some rink gear real soon. So that's good news, right, yes, finally. Yeah. So anyway... Uh, today is Monday, March 5th, 2018. It is 2018. I noticed the last uh, podcast I said 2017. Uh, I am Jeff Osborne, better known across the interwebs as Gatekeeper. And I'm not even going to play a sound clip for that. But uh, I am joined by my good friend, co-host, and fellow grumpy old guy, Mr. John Jacob. How are you, sir? Uh, I'm well. You're well. Thank good. you, sir. Good, good. And together we are your most trusted sources at the newest online hockey hangout, thedashrink.com. So today uh, we have a really cool guest. Some of you may not be familiar with him, but uh, we have a Josh Fryman from WGN. He also does a show on CLTV, which is really cool and laid back. And he's a lot of cool guests, a lot of interesting guests that you might not be used to. So without further ado, I'm going to go right into our interview with Josh Friedman, and then we will, we will return. So here we go. We're joined today by WGN sports anchor, reporter, producer, the co-host of Sports Feed on CLTV, Josh Friedman. Hello, sir. How are you? What's going on, guys? Great to be with you. How you doing, man? <laughs> I, there's lots to talk about in Blackhawks land, so, you know... <laughs> Especially with us, you know. Uh, yeah, it's uh, it's weird that it's what it's March now, and you know, usually it's these last few weeks of the regular season gearing up for the playoffs, and uh, not so much as I'm watching it snow out the uh, the window here at WGN. Um, it's uh, it's been a long winter for the Hawks, and um, not not too much for fans to get excited about. There, there's there's I shouldn't say that there's some stuff definitely to get excited about, but um, definitely in a, in a weird place for Hawks fans this time of year. Yeah, for sure. Um, we're not we're not used to this. In the last decade, it's been uh, it's usually there. You know, we're just waiting for the playoffs, and uh, kind of March is kind of the dead time of the year where they throw a couple guys from uh, Rockford in the lineup and just to see what they got. And you know, the thing that's so that's so funny to me, and maybe it's just me, but it's just it's just this overwhelming sense of apathy. Like I just don't care and uh i know it's going to change when the season's over and the rumors start again and and you know there's the speculation starts around who's staying who's going etc but gosh right now the games are just i mean they're hard to watch because they're just they're not good you know um it's and it, it is it's like it hasn't been this way for like almost 15 years you know uh yeah, yeah i know it, uh, it harkens back to those those days where you can go to the uc you know six seven dollar tickets uh you know at the box office there and um hopefully it's not something where we find that to be a a long stretch of of seasons like this but uh, i know we'll kind of rip on all that stuff coming up here yeah yeah actually our boy aaron aaron goldschmidt was kind of who put this together for us because he was uh he's really a, a fan of the stuff that you do over at wgn and cltv i mean we all are but he pointed it out to us that we should get you on as guest so um he actually brought up and he said you know, he wanted to know if you thought that the media interest in the Hawks will see sort of a drop off, or you think that, you know, it's going to stay consistent until they can actually get back into the, 
you know, into the swing of things, but maybe into the playoff race in, in the next couple of years? It's a good question. Uh, and I appreciate it, Aaron, uh, for the, um, you know, being a fan of the show and everything. Um, yeah, I, I think it will. I think it will drop off. Um, look, you know, it's no shocker here in the Chicago market what the uh, the big teams and the big uh, sports that moved in the needle, right? It's a, it's a Bears town. It's a Cubs town. You know, the Bulls, uh, obviously, they've had down years um, not, not too often over the last decade because of uh, what Thibodeau did, but uh, they're going to miss the playoffs for the first time. And um, eight, nine years this year. So I think with the Blackhawks, because of what's happened since 2009 and them being a perennial contender, that's lent itself to a whole new fan base and media coverage that was barren in the early to late 2000 or first decade of the 2000s to now, you know, when the Hawks are good every year and it can almost become something where people take it for granted. Then it's like, all right, wait till April rolls around and, you know, fire everybody up and sends the reporters out on the road for the playoff games. But I do think, yeah, the, the interest will, um, will not only be subsided from the media, but I think the, the fan base that we've seen grow, the casual Hawks fans over the last few years, uh, just talking to some of my buddies, um, you know, they, they've joked, you know, they haven't really watched a lot of Hawks this season because, the interest is, has not been there with a team that's struggled. So, yeah, I think the media, um, look, you know, the Bears, Bears fans, they're always going to want to know uh, as much about the team because it's the NFL, and that's, that's always going to be the driving force in a big sports town, um, the way the Cubs have been. And even the White Sox now starting to, to look like a team that's put together a great young group of prospects and a team that could get good in a couple of years. Um, I think when you look at the Blackhawks right now, they're in this weird state, especially in Chicago sports, where the interest level is, is definitely low. And um, that could uh, that could change if they rebound next year and get back to where we're used to seeing. But, yeah, I could definitely see it dropping. That was a nice uh, description of the fans. Some some people on the on the Twitter machines might have a, a different description of the uh, more recent fan base. But uh, the bandwagon. Yeah, thing. exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> But you know what? That's that's good. You know, having fans bandwagon or not um, is good for the franchise. It makes them money. It makes them, you know, it, it's good for everyone. But uh, you know that the hipster it's every team, right? I mean, we yeah. look at many. You know, Cubs Cubs fans came out of the woodworks uh, this last two three year stretch when they've been you know in the NLCS every year and obviously winning the World Series in 2016. Uh, I, I, you know, look fans love a winner and they're going to get behind it. And uh, someone that didn't know what a blue line was 10 years ago may claim that uh, they're a huge Hawks fan and hockey fan now and, you know, break out the, uh, the 19 sweater or whatever and watch the games and go to games. But when they start losing again, maybe not so much. And I think we see that a lot in, in all different sports. I don't think it's just the Blackhawks. Yeah. That's kind of, I mean, it's kind of interesting what you're talking about, Josh, because I, you know, just recalling the arc of the franchise over the last, say, yeah, 11, 12 years. I mean, there were so many good things happening for this team. 2006, they drafted Taves. 2007, they drafted Kane. Um, you know, they hired Pat Foley back. They started putting games on home TV. And it all kind mm-hmm. of snowballed, you know, right up to the first cup win. And um, it, it's really interesting. And, and we were talking about this. I'd love to get your opinion on it. I mean, the the phenomenon you talked about a minute ago of the other teams in town kind of grabbing, starting to grab the spotlight, and 
I'm a big White Sox fan, so I'm really excited about what's going on with that franchise over the next two to three years. And I, I know that the Hawks, as an organization, are extremely media sensitive <laughs> in terms of you know mm-hmm. how their brand is perceived in the market. And we talk about it a lot here on this podcast. Um, you know the 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 sort of the brand and business side of the Blackhawks, um, and how the on ice performance affects that and the perception of it. So I'd, I would love to get your take on it because our our feeling has been that as an organization they're very good at handling success, but over the last year or so I think I think it's questionable from a sort of a media management and PR sense how well they handle adversity. I'd love to get your your take on it. Oh, it's uh, it's interesting observation and uh, and look first of all you know. John McDonough and I've gotten a chance to talk to John and, and interview him and what he has done in the past decade plus now and yeah. taking over from his job with the Cubs and making the Blackhawks what they are uh, from a, uh, a PR and media relations standpoint as well, growing that brand. And you touched on some of the big things, putting the games on TV locally, uh, getting Pat Foley back into the mix, um, mm-hmm. you know, everything with, with, with Rocky. I mean, it's, yeah, like what they have done, has been incredible to grow the Blackhawks brand and they are sensitive about how the perception is. I think probably because they know what it was and they it's, it is uh, for a lot of people still really like we can, we can harken back to a dozen years ago when it was really bad times for the Blackhawks and, and uh, in the early two thousands and late nineties, you know, when, when I was, when I was growing up to games and watching games, um, you know, for Blackhawks, uh, it was, it was frustrating because you didn't hear a lot about the team as much as you'd want to as a fan. And I think they are very sensitive, rightly so, because they, they know the fickle nature of, of NHL fans that aren't the diehards. And that's it's still a small category, I think, overall. Um, so in terms of, um, you know, how that may, might change in the future in the next couple of years, I think it's, it, it's remains to be seen. I think that we're probably not going to see the Blackhawks go into some type of rebuild just from a, a contract standpoint, right? There, there's so many right. guys right now that I think they kind of have to uh, reload on the fly with this core roster. And I think that's probably the best move anyway, because um, I think they can still do that and become competitive with the, uh, the young guys that they have and the rising talents in the system. So um, I don't know. I, I, you know, Stan Bowman last year after the first round exit for the second straight season, you know, he came out and he said, I'm frustrated and how, how ticked off he was, unacceptable everything was, and he made all these drastic changes in the in the off season, and then um, you know there were some things out of their control with with you know the Hosa skin infection, for instance. So um, yeah, I, I'm I'm interested to see what they what they do if this kind of starts like a downward um, plane, and they they don't get back to the perennial cup contenders of the past. Uh, almost a decade now. So, yeah, I think they're definitely sensitive to go back to the original uh, observation you guys made. Yeah. um, There's a couple things uh, I kind of wanted to get your opinion on as far as, like, what's going on recently. Um, The first thing um, is the Corey Crawford situation. (laughs) We'll call it a situation. (laughs) Um, You know, he's he's been out since before Christmas. Uh, he was back on the ice. They say he had a setback. Now um, we're into March. Uh, the big, the final stretch of kind of the uh, last journey of the Titanic, kind of, where uh, 
you know, they're, they're not going to make the playoffs. And uh, is it worth, you know, in, in, in your opinion, is it worth even investigating the Corey Crawford coming back thing? Uh, us personally, we feel here that, um, you know, just shut them down. You know, if it's a head injury, you got mm-hmm. post-concussion problems, just shut them down. What is your opinion on this whole Corey Crawford thing? Yeah, I'm I'm with you guys. Um, look, if this was three, four weeks ago when the Hawks were maybe still entertaining the possibility of making a late run and Crow coming back into the lineup in the mix would help uh, help them out, obviously, in a big way to propel them to any chance they had of making the playoffs, I would have said, all right, he's healthy and he gets the, you know, the green light from the medical team. Sure. Uh, you know, see what you have. Maybe, maybe you can spark things. You can go on a run when, you know, 12 or 15 or something crazy like that, whatever. But, and just even listening to Joe Quenville the past uh, couple of times, I've been out at the UC during practices, morning skates. It has changed drastically the way he has talked about it. It was only a couple of weeks ago before the, the trade deadline. And he was getting optimistic about, the possibility of Corey Crawford coming back. Yeah, you know, remember when he was said uh, he, he was going to practice um, multiple times when they came back from a road trip at the UC, and then that got pushed back, and he wasn't ready to get on the ice consecutive days. And, you know, eventually the, the, the benchmark kept getting pushed back, and then we asked him a couple weeks ago, like, what's the update on Crawford? And, you know, he's like, uh, you know, not as optimistic, basically, and, you know, we'll, we'll have to see about that. And Coach, you obviously – doesn't give too much away, but in, in Coach Q language, it, it, it did seem like they've made the decision based on where they are in the standings combined with how his, his health has progressed or hasn't progressed that they're not going to play him. And I think it's the right call. If it's concussion-related, which by all accounts it is, um, then why risk it? He takes one hit, one puck to the mask, it yeah. could come back and then you're in danger of uh, not having him ready for next season or, or shortening his, his off season. We know how fickle that is in, in hockey with the, the concussion related symptoms, you know, just look at what Sidney Crosby went through a couple of years ago and other big names. So I wouldn't risk it. No. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Because, you know, I, I'm a goalie myself and um, you know, you just get hit in the pot, you know, you get hit in the head in the warmups. Look what's happened to like Matt Murray and, and other goalies around the NHL that uh, some of them, they don't even get hit by other players. They just get, by, get hit by a puck in warm-ups or something like that, and then they're out. And if, and if you know, he's still recovering from an injury, um, I don't see why you even risk it at all, you know? So I think what you guys – go ahead, sorry. I was going to follow up real quick. Uh, would you guys have changed your mind on that if the, the Hawks had like a 20% chance of making the playoffs rather no. than – uh, 0.05, whatever it is now. Would you, would would, you say would, it's uh, worth the risk if it was low? Because here's the thing. Let's say, well, okay, so let's say they had that 20% chance and then they, they somehow semi-miraculously got in. Are they really getting past the first round? Most likely not. I mean, the odds even go down from there that they're not getting past the first round with a goalie, albeit a really good first-string goalie, who has not played since December because um, mm-hmm. there's a certain amount of, you know, he's got to get back up to speed and get his game back, you know, and oh, by the way, it's the first round of the playoffs. I mean, I think, but I do think what the Hawks want to know and they better want to know going into the off season is, will he be able to play next year? I mean, do they have a relative assurance that he's going to be healthy enough to play next year? Because when you're out this long with a concussion, 
you're in that Adam Deadmarsh, Jason Allison. Um, yes, you know, the other side of it is Sidney Crosby, a guy who's come back and played, and there's a few others, but boy, there's a, there's a long list of, you know, former NHL stars who, you know, could not play anymore due to concussions and had their careers cut mm-hmm. dramatically short. So, I mean, and Bowman's got work to do this off season and does, does the goalie position, not just the backup position, which I think is a, a fair question as well, but does the starting goalie position become something he needs to address? Because, you know, you, you touched on it earlier, Josh. I mean, they've got all these con- contracts that effectively prevent them from going into full teardown and rebuild mode. So there's got to be an expectation then with these contracts that they're going to win next year, you know? And I, so if I'm Bowman and the entire organization, I want to know um, no later than like, say, May 15th, that Corey Crawford is going to be able to play in October because I got to start, I got to start making some contingency contingency plans. If I don't know that he can. No, you're right. And I think a lot of Hawks fans and even media members too, we, you know, we're probably just assuming that Crawford's going to be ready for next year, but that's a, it's a, a leap to make, especially when you're talking about these head injuries and, yeah. you know, we brought up a lot of good examples. And so I think that completely changes the calculus for this offseason because we know how many um, decisions that Stan's going to have to make to revamp right. this team with, with the locked-in contracts he's going to need to to get that defense overhauled. And if he has to go get a goaltender on top of that, I mean, you're, you're asking a whole lot. And who knows? I mean, in all likelihood, they are today fairly assured that he's going to be back. And by, by say, May 15th or whatever date um, they would put on it, you know, they're, they're going to know, yeah, he's going to be fine. He'll be ready, back and ready. You know, that that's that's in all likelihood, that's the case. But um, it is it, it is interesting because he will not, you know, play an NHL game um, from December 23rd on to whenever. And that's a long period of time. Not only not play games, but he not has practicing. barely been on the ice. Yeah, right. He hasn't right. even he doesn't even really see shots or NHL yeah. quality shots. So that's that's yeah. another thing to take into account as well. But yeah, uh, so it's going to be a really interesting off season. Yeah. Um, so, well, on, on the back of that, uh, the other thing that I kind of wanted to bring up to you, and I know you, you may have to tread a little lightly on this, but um, as far as the back office and um, the coaching staff and stuff like that goes, uh, do you have any sort of thoughts on, you know, the Bowman, uh, you know, Quenville, should they stay, should they go kind of thing? I mean, what do you, I, I, like I said, I know you got to, you might have to tread, tread lightly on that. So I don't want to put you on the spot, but you know, you have any kind of uh, input on that? No, I mean, Hey, it's, it's what everybody's talking about. We've discussed it on, on my show a lot, especially when you have hockey guests on. Um, look, I always think about what Theo Epstein said when he left Boston and he said, it's almost like the, um, uh, his kind of mantra for, for the staying power of anybody in, in leadership. And you kind of have this, like this 10 year lifespan. And he felt like after a decade in Boston, not only did his kind of like energy and enthusiasm for the job wane, but he felt like maybe he was getting tuned out a little bit and he, there needed to be a new voice. And so it was kind of a, a natural progression for him to go on to the next challenge. And, and he, you could say there are some similarities between what, what Theo did in Boston, bringing 
the Red Sox their first World Series in 86 years and then winning another one before we left um, for the go to the Cubs. And what Joel did, obviously, not in a, a management position, but what Joel helped for the, the Blackhawks bringing their first Stanley Cup since uh, since 61. So, yeah, I mean, I, I to answer the question, I think you give them another shot. I think this is almost a mulligan year for Joel because of what he had to go through with, no Hosa starting in the summer pretty late mm. with no Crawford for, for over half the season yeah. with just your, your core guys that you expected to play better. Brandon side, you make that trade at the time and people were on board. I was happy with that trade because you basically swap salaries and you get two more years at six mil for sod who right. by all accounts was, was going to continue to play. He had with Chicago and with Columbus or Panarin, who you're going to have to pay eventually in a couple of years. So that was, a, I think, a deal most people were praising Bowman to, for making. Now, the Jalmerson deal, that hasn't worked out with Murphy as much. But I think with, with, with Joel, I would, if he wants to be here and he feels like they still in the locker room respect him and, and are not tuning his voice out, then I would give him another. He's definitely earned it, obviously, and deserves to, to be uh, in that position, I think, uh, for another year, at least if he wants to be. And, and with Stan, you know, look, his track record, he's got a lot of hits, he's got a lot of misses, uh, but he's still been an integral part of, of building what the Hawks have done uh, on the back of, of Dale Tell. And so, yeah, I, I think I would keep both for now, unless, unless McDonough's looking at this team and he's like, uh, we have to make a change. We have to do something to shake things up. And, and I wouldn't be shocked if that is the case, but I, I would bet right now that those two guys are back. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Um, well, let's shift gears just a little bit here. Um, and let's talk about kind of uh, what you do on CLTV. Um, Aaron had another question, which is a really good question. And it kind of ties into w- with what we do over at the dash rank.com. Uh, he, re- he really kind of wanted to talk about, you know, the kind of guests that you guys have on your show, which is, seems to be more of like, you know, n- sort of non-traditional, maybe bloggers, quote unquote bloggers, you know, that, 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 uh, you know, <laughs> that bad word, but, um, you know, bringing in some new faces, some fresh faces and things like that on your show seems to be what you guys, uh, are doing there and and that's that's a good thing we all think that's a good thing to get some fresh faces in there not the usual you know beat writers the three same three beat writers that you hear on every show right so um tell us a little more too about you know what you guys do there and 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 bringing in that kind of media sure no and we love that about uh, the show as well and you know i'll 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 do a quick pitch on just the show real quick because not everyone uh, get CLTV or is familiar with it, but yeah, it's, uh, it's myself and Jared Payton. We host it uh, six o'clock Sunday nights through Thursday nights, so um, five nights a week, live six to seven, an hour of mainly local. So we t- you know talk about all the Chicago teams, then we do some high school, some college as well, and then any big of the national stories. And it's yeah, it's just a, it's a fun hour. We have guests come in. We do. You know, um, some fun segments like on Mondays we do a man crush segment. So, you know, someone in the sports world where you know we're we're crushing on uh, based on what the, I, I picked uh, Shaq uh, Griffin today after what mm-hmm. he did in the combine and everything like that. So we we have a good time with it. It's been uh, two and a half years now of the show. Um, Larry Hawley is our producer. He does a great job of finding guests for us, and um, we've we've grown in the last two and a half years to to really expand that guest base and. 
you know, in, in, in a market like this in Chicago, you'd be surprised just how many people there are like that, that either do it as uh, a living and they get paid to, to talk sports or guys, you know, where you had to have your own, your own website and your podcast, like you guys and, and other things where they um, do a really good job and people really like their work. And yet um, they, they aren't the Tribune's beat writer or they're not on, you know, name X big time website or radio station. So we have those guests for sure. And we really love uh, what they bring to the table because they're usually the most plugged in if they're the beat writers and following the team. But let's face it, those guys are on the road a lot. They're, they're busy. And so we get them when we can, but we understand their commitment. So we, uh, we love getting guys and girls um, who maybe haven't done any TV. And we have had a lot of guests who come on and they're like, this is my first time on TV. And we're like, all right, great. That's fine. You know, let's, let's have some fun with it. We try to keep them at ease. You know, uh, Jared and I, uh, for the most part, just wear, uh, you know, button ups and, and sport coats. We don't really wear ties too much, kind of keeping it that loose feel. And we hope that the guests kind of feel that way too. So, yeah, I mean, um, you know, I, I like how you, you know, did the quote unquote bloggers because I feel like nowadays everything is, is almost like a blog. It's all online. And it's so true. I think that stigma, the thing that stigma is kind of erased, uh, yeah. or at least uh, it, doesn't, it doesn't have the same connotation it did, you know, even five years ago. No, it, and, and I find it interesting because someone like Elliot Friedman, uh, you know, from, uh, I think it's, was he Sportsnet mm-hmm. or TSN? He uh, he refers to his column as a blog, which a lot of traditional media didn't do that. It was such a negative connotation for that term. And he, you know, he he's the biggest of the big as far as hockey goes with being a source. And he refers to his stuff think, as a blog. Um, I think Tracy Myers used to do that too. Yeah, like she had a she had a and she was working for um, um, NBC Sports with Comcast. CSN. She was working for CSN, but she she had a, she had a Hawks blog as well, which is really interesting. It's sort of you know, um, um, you know, the traditional media trying to sort of like back into blogging. I thought that was really interesting. Yeah, it's almost like a it's like an unpretentious way to say column. You know what I mean? Like it's it's yeah. the same thing. It's a it's a writer giving their perspective and riffing on things that they've heard or they know or they want to talk about, and it just happens to be you know, on the internet instead of in a newspaper or uh, a magazine. And, and with, with, you know, with, with the up and coming sites, like, you know, the athletic and of course still slightly smaller, our website, but you know, uh, some of the better resources are going to, are starting to be online and we're starting to see some of the newspapers kind of, you know, cutting back as, as, as they would say. So um, I I think the the whole online and the immediacy of everything and Twitter and uh, and all that I think I think that just makes you know uh, information as far as like the Blackhawks or any sport just more readily available for the casual fan to find out there. Oh oh yeah, Twitter is hundred percent just changed the game where it's almost like I I don't even really remember the days before Twitter where you would you would instantly find out information. It's it, it feels like it's a, a different kind of era uh, for sure. And, you know, I got my tweet deck up while I'm at work and we're, we're making sure we're not missing anything um, that's breaking in the sports world. But, yeah, it's completely changed. And people can make their names on Twitter, right? You know, we see people with really big followings um, and they, they get this platform that uh, can be really useful to drive people to what they're doing and, and where they're working. And, and look, 
I, I love newspapers. I, you know, I read the Tribune and the Sun Times here at work, uh, you know, every day, and I, I enjoy the the work they do. But I, I, I'll admit, you know, it's it's an industry that is going through and has been for a long time now uh, immense change at this this weird crossroads of like, all right, how do we still cater to this new audience where Twitter and where social media and online is where they're always where they're going first, and yet still have um, things that are in the hardcover paper uh, actually be relevant the next day. And so it's, um, it's something that they're, they're constantly trying to figure out the best ways to, to make money and revenue and the athletic, which you brought up, brought up with it's a great example today. In fact, they got, I read $20 million more in seed funding and they're going to double their um, writing staff and they're going to expand more internationally and hopefully have a, and uh, what they said, a, site in every single market in the United States that has a major sports team. So that's, that's incredible for what they have grown into the last couple of years. And, and it's directly affecting um, what the newspapers and um, traditional media are doing. And they're going to have to change how they're approaching things or, or sites like the athletic are, are going to end up owning the day. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, just, just as a little bit of background, like what John and I, uh, you know, have started with, with the people here at, at uh, the dash rink.com is we uh, you know, we're, we're running something where it's kind of just more hockey centric from top to bottom, from NHL down to prospects, down to, you know, all the levels over to Europe and stuff like that. But we're, you know, I think the, you know, down the road, having uh, different chapters in all the, the hockey markets is what the intention is. So, you know, we're, it's kind of the same thing here with 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 what we're doing here. Indeed. When did you guys launch? When did you guys launch things? Uh, November first, two thousand seventeen. So we're uh, we're still in our our infancy. Gate wears the diapers. Brand new. Uh, I have a bottle. <laughs> yeah, um, but no, I mean, we're yeah, we're we're brand new. But uh, um, it's it's been a blast. Actually. Yeah, John and I so, came from from separate sites. I I ran my own. Uh, Hawk site and uh, John was over at hockey buzz and we, uh, we were recruited and brought in and, uh, now here we are. So, you know, yeah. we're having a good time. So, um, well, I think, you know, we've kind of hit, uh, you know, most of the stuff and we, we've kind of hit, you know, what you're doing over there at CLTV. There's one last question I gotta, I, I have to ask you a little off the cuff. Uh, has anyone ever told you, you, uh, you look very similar to uh, Blackhawks legend Marty Turco. <laughs> no, uh, this would be the first Marty Turco reference and, uh, <laughs> that I have uh, I've gotten. But you know what? I'm going to go have to, to look Marty Turco's face up uh, after I get uh, done with you guys to see uh, if you are. You know, first of all, if this is an insult or not. No, Secondly, it is not an insult. Uh, if you're way off base or not. <laughs> Yeah, I, I had I had to ask that when we when we were uh, when I saw uh, saw you the other day, I was like, you know, he reminds me a lot of Marty Terco, and uh, so I, I I made sure I had to ask you. That's funny. No, I, I have not gotten that. One, but, uh, <laughs> well, there you go. It's a first. <laughs> that's a first for you, John. You got anything else? Uh, I do not, Josh. Thank you very much, man. Uh, always great to uh, hang out with a fellow Northwest suburbanite and uh, <laughs> uh, talk a little Blackhawk hockey. So thanks for coming on, man. You got anything else you want to plug, yeah, uh, Josh? Yeah, I appreciate it, guys. Um, yeah, no, I mean, uh, look, it's been it's been a rough year for the Hawks, but I, I guess overall, I just wanted to get your 
your quick thoughts on like, do you guys feel that there is still optimism toward rebounding in the next year or so, or do you feel like this is kind of like the the beginning of the end of, of uh, you know, not to sound too, um, you know, Armageddon uh, and, uh, you know, end of things, but like, do you guys feel that more optimistic after this whole season kind of goes to bed and, uh, and still feel like the Hawks can get back to where they've been? You, Jeff, you want to take a shot at that? I got some <laughs> thoughts. Yeah. Um, we're pretty optimistic that things can turn around quickly. Um, there's some young talent on this team. Uh, you know, you like, you know, the Alex DeBrinkets and uh, uh, maybe the up and coming Dylan Sakura and uh, some of the younger defensemen, some of them. Um, it, it, maybe not all the pieces are currently there, but uh, there are teams out there. And, and, and I compared last week. Uh, you know, I said like teams like the Bruins who basically kind of bottomed out for a year or two, and now they've come back with their aging core and they were able to support with some younger players like Pasternak and, and players like that. And now they're back in the, in the thick of things. Now you've got the pens were a little bit different there, uh, but they kind of have done the same thing. The Kings as well missed the playoffs and they kind of brought in some younger players and, they're not dominating, but they're back in, you know, they're at least making some sort of a splash. So with Jonathan Taves and uh, Patrick Kane and Brandon Saad and Duncan Keith right now, and, uh, you know, players like that, um, it's possible that they have the talent there. Uh, they just have to be able to fill it in, bring those young players along, and then fill in all the holes properly in the offseason. You just have to be very careful about it. And very, very methodical about yeah. it. Cause if they, a couple of missteps and you're back, you know, you're back falling two steps backwards again. So that's kind of my opinion. I don't know. What do you think? John? Um, I think if uh, it's, it, it's clearly a huge off season for the front office and for Bowman. And uh, you know, the next, to, to, to my way of thinking, the next really big date in this franchise history potentially is the draft lottery. And if they can luck out and get into the top three um, and then potentially package that um, Nashville draft pick um, later in the first round and possibly, uh, you know, one of their extra thirds or something and even even move up a spot or two um, to grab, say, a Rasmus Dahlin or, um, you know, one of the really elite players at the top of the draft, preferably defensemen. Because uh, that would that would be a real game changer um, for the team. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I also think too that you know there's some like the the Eric Gustafson signing that was announced today probably won't get a lot of play. But you know my take on that is um, Eric, this team doesn't need more of what Eric Gustafson brings. Um, this they need some guys on defense who can get between opposing forwards and their own goalie and be defensemen you know, not a fourth forward. And I, so I, I really seriously question that signing. Um, and it's kind of, to me, another example of Bowman doubling down on a bad bet, like David Runblad, for example. Um, and I don't know why he does that because I think that they need to, I, I think, and I've, and I've heard this from people connected to the organization. There's a strong perception within the organization as well, that the defense has been really suffering the last couple of years and it's, it's getting worse. And they, they, so they need to turn that around in a huge way. And then the other issue is, is the Crawford issue we raised. I mean, if Corey Crawford is back a hundred percent next year, 
a lot of things can start going a lot better for this team. But if he's not, where does that leave you? And and again, that would be another huge rabbit he'd have to pull out of the hat in the offseason. So it's it, it could go either way in a hurry, you know. It just all depends. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I, I'm I'm pretty much with you guys. You know, with the you know, I, you love what the the Schmaltz, Brinkett, and Estros, the young core has done this year, and it's been really the the pleasant surprises, uh, if you want to say even surprises from, from this season, uh, or at least some positives. And uh, yeah, if you have that in place, and you get bounce backs from Sod and, and Taves and. Yeah, um, you know, maybe you move some money around. You, you sign a big defenseman, and then if you get lucky in the draft lottery, like you said, and I mean, you can you can make the arguments and you can kind of paint that picture right for things to get better quickly. But um, I think Stan's going to have a lot of work to do this off season for sure. Yeah. Uh, I, I'm with you. I wasn't really uh, fond of the, the Gustafson signing that uh, was was made out uh, today, or at least reported today. So uh, we'll see. I mean, the, he knows more than we do, obviously. But you're right; yeah. it could be. Doubling yeah. down on a bad bag. Yeah. Cool. Well, uh, thanks for all your input, Josh. I really appreciate yes, having you thank on. Thank you. And we'll have to uh, have you on again sometime. Yeah, guys. Anytime. I uh, really appreciate uh, you guys having me on and always fun talking hockey. So Great. Uh, and good luck with the site and everything, too. Yeah, we'll be, uh, you, we'll be watching and monitoring and uh, all that good stuff. So, thanks, uh, man. Always, we really appreciate it. For, for new sites. So that's awesome. Awesome. Right thanks, on, man. Thank and that's you. on Twitter. That's at Josh underscore Friedman. It's F R Y D M A N, right? Nailed it. Yep. Yep. Cool. Awesome. Thanks, Josh. Have a good one. Thanks, guys. See you. All right. All right. Thanks again to Josh for uh, spending a, about a half hour with us talking a little bit of Blackhawks hockey. So uh, now that, now that uh, we, we stopped bugging Josh for tonight, let's let's kind of get back into uh, the Blackhawks stuff and uh, what happened in this past week uh, since the trade deadline was last week. And then we, we recorded that night. And then uh, since then, they uh, played against the Sharks, the Kings, and An- uh, Anaheim and, uh, on a West Coast uh, trip. And uh, <laughs> some went good, mostly went bad. Yeah. <laughs> They lost to the Sharks 7-2, to uh, which was a horrible game. Then uh, they were losing to the Kings 3-1 to with 10 minutes left in the third period, came back and ended up winning 5-3. And then against the Anaheim Ducks, they looked terrible again and lost 6-3. The game wasn't even as close as the score indicated. But no. uh, what, were, what were your thoughts on some of these games, what you did see of the games, or what you could stay uh, – you know, uh, uh, do you really, <laughs> really want you wanted to ask me that? Eh? Okay. Yes, I do. Um, so, you know, I, I do think there's a degree to which what we're seeing is a result of the fact that they're kind of at this point going through the motions and mailing it in. But I also think, too, that, I mean, especially these games on the West Coast and, and in particular, I think against the Kings and um, Anaheim, even though they won the L.A. game. But. You know, something I've really started to notice is the amount of unmolested chances that opposing forwards get right in front of the Hawk goalie, um, primarily because one of the Hawk defensemen um, or the Matadors who masquerade as Hawk defensemen um, have just completely failed to seal their man off from the net. And, um, yeah, you know, well, at the same time, on the other end, other end of the ice, the Hawk forwards, you know, they can't ever seem to get into the slot or get anywhere near the net. And I, 
it's um it's pretty maddening to watch. And to me, that's like if, if there's something that Stan Bowman's gonna work on during the offseason and you know, maybe it's a it's a system thing for Quindle, especially in the defensive end. Um, they they've gotta they've gotta address this because this is a team that you know, and I know I'm gonna I don't some people are gonna say I'm a meathead for saying this, but this team just the style that they play is so uh, finesse and perimeter. And it was great when you had one of the fastest teams in hockey, which they don't have anymore. Uh, and it was great when you had, you know, four lines of talented forwards and you went at least four or five deep with talented defensemen. They don't have that anymore. And, you know, you, I just saw the way that for the ducks, for example, blocked shots and got into shooting lanes aggressively. I don't ever see the Hawks do that. The Hawks are 24th in the league in blocking shots this year. Yeah. You know, yeah. and um, you know, it's like Marion Hulso once said, and they asked him, you know, at, at the end of the season, a few years back, you know, what the Hawks need to do to get better. And he said, you know, you have to protect the house <laughs> and they, they need to protect the house. And then conversely, they need to get into the house and the other end of the ice. And um, it's, it's hard, you know, and you know, it's funny. A lot of people went after Taves for getting in that fight yesterday. And I, I do agree with some of the other guys who said it was a, uh, you know, just him showing frustration and maybe that wasn't good leadership. But, you know, the other side of it is, is just that it was when, when he did get in the fight, the bench was like they were all zombies. Yeah, you know? that was uh, brought up. We actually had some questions about that. So. Yeah. And, you know, to it t- took a shot. I think it was against I think it was against the Kings. Yeah, it was Jeff Carter um, took a shot at the it and nobody did anything. You know, and again, I mean, I mean, I understand, you know, that you don't want to retaliate and get the get the extra instigator, et cetera. But at some point, you know, maybe the retaliation isn't isn't some idiot like Lance Bowman dropping his gloves. But maybe it's it's somebody laying out uh, Drew Doughty, you know, or it's somebody, you know, laying out Kopitar. I mean, um, with a clean hit. It's just, um, you know, it, again, I mean, the, the, the Joel Quinville way of doing things in, t- in 2015 it may not be um, effective with the talent he has today. So what, how are you going to improvise to be a tougher team to play against? Um, so I, again, I mean, I just think, I just think that those who say that, well, they don't have Corey Crawford and, and if they had Crawford, it would all be different. Yeah. You know what? They had Crawford until December 23rd. And at that point they were out of the playoffs. Yeah. So, well, so that, that doesn't wash. Yeah. We, we mentioned that a couple of times and I've brought it up and, all he does is he he just masks things, right. and it showed well, last year you, in the he playoffs. Gets you to a baseline, he gets you to a to a baseline that's a decent team with a shot, but you got to be able to take it from there, right? And, 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 and yeah, go ahead. Sorry, no, no. And last year in the playoffs, it showed. You know, uh, yeah, yeah. He had masked a lot of problems. They the record looked a lot better than they actually were, and they go into the playoffs with this big head, thinking they're so good, and you know the uh, they're playing a good team for four games and they weren't able to keep up at all a big, a big team that can skate and they just they just got overwhelmed by nashville yeah. and yeah they pushed st louis to seven games the, the previous year but you know um again i mean if, if they'd have faced st louis last last year in the first round i don't think they would have won that series either yeah you know? well we 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 kind of uh we kind of teased this with josh but let's bring it up now, and it, because you brought up, up the defense. Um, first of all, this re-signing, this reported re-signing of Eric Gustafson for possibly two-year extension, possibly between two point two to two point five million a year, which is 
basically so a was million. It, wait, was it was it that much per year, or was it that? No, no, that no, no. I, I'm sorry. Per... It was uh, it's about a million a year. So like a, mil- a million to like a million two a year. Yeah, right, right. Was, yeah, like I'm that. sorry, I misspoke. That's right. No, it's just but, an important it's an important distinction. Oh yeah, yeah, for sure. Um but I mean this is this is still a guy that played half the year in Rockford and now you're re-signing him for two more years because you saw what out of him? Yeah, I you know and here's the thing, I mean I yeah, I don't know the terms of the deal in terms of whether it's a one way deal or a two way deal if they could send him down and maybe if if there's a codicil built into it where they can send him down and again i the cap and and the cba are not you know my strongest suits i'm not good at math but so i don't <laughs> know if you could if you have the ability to send him down then, then the contract doesn't bother me as much if it's a one-way deal and it means eric Gustafson, if if it means that eric Gustafson is on the um is on the blue line for sure next year at 1.2 million dollars which isn't a ton of money but it begs the question um is eric Gustafson is Eric Gustafson what you want to be in terms of sort of the lowest common denominator of this defense? Or, you know, is he a guy that with a lot of other teams would be in the AHL? He's, he can jump into the play um, and pass the puck and shoot the puck, but he's shown almost no ability to, to stop anybody defensively. <laughs> um, he's pretty bad. And so maybe they, they have some coaching and some scouting that says that this guy can be a lot better. Um, but I don't know. I mean, it kind of reminds me of the, when he re-upped David Runblatt and everybody was shaking their heads and scratching their heads and, you know, wanting to have his head examined. And in hindsight, it was, it was stupid. Yeah. Well, and and again, this is something, something else you brought up with, with Josh is, you know, is this Quenville doubling down on a mistake and trying to force it to work? You know, you mean Bowman or Quenville? Uh, Bowman, Bowman. Sorry. Yeah. 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 I don't know, you know, and, and, uh, cause I, I, to, you know, this, and this is, you know, what I've heard from some people close to the team, hockey people. Um, what I've kind of observed is that, you know, uh, you, Duncan Keith and Brent, Duncan, Duncan, Brent Seba clearly has, has lost a half a step. Um, I think there's, you know, it's debatable how good he still is. Some people, I would say he's probably not as bad as some say. Um, Duncan Keith, does seem to be struggling with the amount of minutes and the amount of pressure on him um, because, you know, they don't have Johnny Oduya and Nicholas Jalmerson spelling them anymore, um, you know, and taking pressure off them in a lot of situations. You know, now it's, it's Connor Murphy and uh, Jan Ruda and well, Jan Ruda Dustin. can't stay healthy. Yeah. And it's, it's, and he's a, you know, he's a first year player in North America and, um, I think we're fooling ourselves if we think that this is a deep defense anymore. It's not. It's, it's, um, you know, Wiz, our, our guy Wiz, you know, he, he was writing a, a piece uh, for us, I think it was about a uh, week, 10 days ago, and he said, you know, Brent Seabrook and Duncan Keith are still the two best defensemen on the team. And he's right. I mean, night in, night out, they, they are in terms of, you know, being two-way defensemen. And it's not saying much because they're not playing that well either. And, so this defense has got to get better. And your answer is to, is to just give more money to Eric Gustafson. Yeah. Well, think about it. how have you gotten better? Yeah. And why do you got to sign him right now? <laughs> exactly. I, I don't get it. And, uh, I don't know. Um, I just, uh, I'm, I'm concerned, you know, again, in the off season, um, about, you know, the goaltending situation and then compounding that the defense, because, 
Um, the Hawks get a lot of shots on them by yeah, other teams. Right. I mean, we've seen that all year. I mm-hmm. mean, 40, 45 shots a game. And, um, you know, it's you can't simply expect Corey Crawford to come in and, and you know, take off, you know, his, his shirt and reveal the Superman cape and um, and carry the team, especially not when, when you don't even know if he can play. Well, he's going to be That's almost true. 34 years old. He's coming off That's of the a... Other thing. You know, he's coming off of a, a, a head injury, and and now he's going to kill himself trying to you know yeah. save this defense. I mean, we've seen younger goalies in there almost killing themselves trying trying to play behind this defense, and yeah. uh, it's not working all that well. So, uh, Corey Crawford's a good goalie, but he's not Superman. Yeah, I, I just so I don't know. I, I don't know. You know, again, I mean, I like to give Bowman the benefit of the doubt sometimes because. You, you can overanalyze it, a specific move and when you look at it, just sort of look at the move and, and that by itself. And you don't see sort of the larger pattern of moves he's trying to pull off. So, and I don't know, you know, what the plan is for the summer um, and for the off season. And maybe this, this little Gustafson signing is just a small piece in the plan. And there's, there's much more to come. Um, we'll see. Well, for sure. Now this is just for sure, and now we're assuming this Eric Gustafson deal is is a go, and will be announced in the next couple of days. Um, for sure, next year you have Brent Seabrook coming back, Duncan Keith coming back, Connor Murphy coming back, uh, Carl Dahlstrom will be back in one fashion or another, Jordan Osterley will be back, and Eric Gustafson will be back. Yeah, I did hear a rumor that there was a possibility they could move Murphy in the off season. Um in particular to Ottawa, that there was a discussion around a potential deal involving him. That could just be nothing. Um, it'll be interesting to see. Um, because for some reason, um, for some reason, it just seems like his name came up in a lot of trade rumors, uh, really almost all season long. And um, he's kind of been in and out of the lineup with Quenville of late. And you just get the sense that for whatever it is, there's some, there's, he's kind of, he's kind of the, the new Trevor Daly. <laughs> and, uh, um, yeah, I, I don't understand it. I mean, yeah, he's not Nicholas Jomerson. He may never be Nicholas Jomerson, but don't expect no. him to be. Uh, no. You don't have, I mean, with Brent Seabrook being, you know, slowing down, you're not going to get rid of him, but he's, he's, he's got a little bit of size, but the only other guy you got on your defense that's got any sort of size whatsoever is Connor Murphy. And if you get rid of Connor Murphy, what are you going to replace him with? Uh, Gustav no. Forsling? So you got a bunch of midgets on defense that you know that may or may not be able to get exit the zone properly. Yeah, uh, I don't get what shedding size does for this team. Carl Dahlstrom's yeah. good size, but we're seeing a sample size of Carl Dahlstrom. I don't, you don't, yeah, you don't, not good. You, you don't <laughs> know. Good. He may be a number six. He may be you know the next quote unquote Michael Roosevelt, but he's got some size. That's great, but he's not going to be you know that guy that's going to crushing guys you know p- paired with Duncan Keith uh hit, you know sucking a lot of minutes up uh Eric Gustafson is not that big Jordan Osterley is not that big Jan Root is decent size he's UFA and he's injury prone let me ask you a question we've seen Dahlstrom now for what mm-hmm. 10 15 games yeah is there anything about him that jumps out at you that says this guy's gonna be good um I like I do like his size um, from what I've seen over the years at, at prospect camp, he he's gotten a lot better foot speed than he had. I mean, honestly, yeah. he was like Frankenstein and I've wrote this a couple times in the past couple of years. Yeah. 
he was like Frankenstein wearing those boots. Like he was slow, but uh, you could tell that he can think the game pretty well at a, at a pro level. I, he's 23. I mean, we we're kind of almost overlooking the fact that he's still kind of young. Um, you know, he's, he's a year younger than Connor Murphy. He's taken longer to develop, but, um, you know, well, what's his, what's his upside? I mean, if you could, if you could give me an NHL comparable ugh, of who you think this guy could be off the top of my head. I mean, it's it just a depth guy, it's just depth guy with yeah. size. Oh, like yeah. I said, not, maybe not even as good as a Michael Roosevelt was when yeah. he was good. Yeah, Michael Roosevelt, you know, 10 years ago was a pretty good NHL defenseman. Yeah, maybe in that kind of realm. I don't know that maybe he's, I don't know that he, he's shown to be as physical as Roosevelt yeah. was at one point in time. But, um, you know, maybe in there. Yeah. Okay. You never know. With, you know, playing now and a full season of working out with the, you know, the pro team, maybe he, he, he jumps to the next level. But I'm not, you know, counting on him to come in and, and be that size. I, I, that's why... I, I'd be hesitant with unloading Connor Murphy at 24 years old with his size, with being able yeah. to play both the left and right side. Now he's proven. Yeah, I agree. I agree. I mean, I, I don't know why you don't, you know, tolerate some of his mistakes because of the, you know, the size and, and the willingness. Um, and, uh, you know, he has some nights where he's pretty, pretty good. And, uh, so I don't get that. I don't get what Quinville's, you know, issue is there with him. And, uh, um, because yeah, I mean, you know, you don't, and you don't necessarily want to build your defense just around guys who are big because there are guys who are big who stink. You know? Oh yeah, for but, sure. But you need but, some I mean, some variety. I think. I, but uh, you know, bigger guys who can skate and play—that's uh, sort of the brass ring. I mean, that's that's what the really good teams have in abundance. And um, um, you know, it, it just it would it, it would be nice to see the Hawks add some size and some snarl. And not and not Lance Bulma size and snarl, but but uh, you know, in the package of, of a guy who can play um, and make some things happen, um, you know, either offensively or defensively. I mean, um, and again, you know, we we're we're kind of in in, in negative land, but I'll, I'll submit to you, I'm really excited about this draft lottery, and I may end up being super disappointed if they end up picking like eighth um, or ninth or tenth. But you know, what if they got into the top three? You know, then things get really interesting because then you can get a Brady Kachuk or you can get a um, uh, Zadina or you can get, you know, uh, you know, Erasmus Dahlin or even an Evan Bouchard who can't come in next year and play. But, you know, in, in two or three years, he could be, uh, you know, uh, moving into your first pairing for the yeah, next 10 years. Right. Yeah. You know, well, um, yeah. that's what I feel. It feels like, you know, we're, we're sitting here playing around the fringes talking about. Eric Gustafson and, and Carl Dahlstrom, you know, when, 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 what they really need is they need some studs, <laughs> you know? Yeah, right. Um, for sure. And then you got people out there that are like, Go ahead, well, I, I, I like this week where I saw a certain tweet from a certain person uh, comparing that Duncan Keith at 24 years old was, you know, up for the Norris trophy or blah, blah, blah. Man, this guy's freaking delusional. Like you have to compare every back defenseman. In the box, Laz. Yeah. Every yeah, back in the box, Laz. You have to compare every defenseman to Duncan what Duncan Keith did at twenty four years old. Like and if he and if he doesn't reach those heights, that means he's an immediate failure. No. That's not how no. it works. No, but you know, I mean again, I mean the Hawks don't need any more depth guys. They've they've got a lot of depth and potential depth guys. No, I Duncan I, Keith 
35 years old, you know? And, no, I was and, referring uh, to like Connor Murphy. This was, this was regarding Connor Murphy. Oh, okay. Connor Murphy is not going to be Duncan Keith. No, no he's not no. going to be drew Dowdy, but he can still be a good defenseman at 24 years old with all the experience he has. You know, sometimes you got to just ride it out and make it work. And, and, yeah. and Joe Quenville has never proven that he's going to sit there and he's going to ride something out and make it work. He just well, cuts he, bait on it. The other thing is, is when Trevor Daly came, I think he was like 31 years old. Connor Murphy's 24, you know, yeah. and are, are younger, maybe 23. And 24, yeah. I mean, it's one thing if you, if you got a guy like Daly who at 31 is basically what he's going to be. And stylistically, you don't, you don't care for his game. That's kind of understandable. But this, you know, Murphy's 23 years old, and so he's still, as a defenseman in the NHL, a work in progress to a, to a certain degree. It, do, it does seem kind of throwing the baby out with the bathwater to just, you know, write the guy off after, you know, 40 games. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I, I would agree on that because Murphy has some ability to be a regular contributor as an NHL defenseman. Um, you know, he has some, some defensive ability, some shutdown ability. And some size, and those are two things they need more of on defense. So I don't know. I yeah. don't know why they subtract it. Yeah, I, I can't see getting rid of it, and then you're bringing what? Henry Yokiharu or Gustav Forsling, who are just younger, less experienced versions of like Duncan Keith or any of these other smaller offensive defensemen. You can't have an entire team full of offensive defensemen. Otherwise, you're going to give right. up 50 shots every game. You may well, get 50 shots every game, but you're going to give up 50 shots every game. Pounds. Yeah, you know, um, because you, you, they need they need some guys who can engage um, in the de- in the defensive zone and get their bodies between um, their man in the net and and stop guys from just going right to the front of the net and basically, you know, lifting the puck up over the goalie's shoulders. I mean, it's it's kind of ridiculous, and I you know I think it is somewhat how they're being coached. I think it's guys not knowing where to go at given times. But I, I think it's also, you know, they're just overmatched physically. I mean, um, I, when Corey Perry came in on Osterle yesterday, it was like Osterle just stood there and stared at him. It was like he didn't know what to do with him. Yeah. You know? And, I, and, I agree. Uh, yeah. I, it, I do, so, yeah, I think they need to add some of that. And I, I'm kind of – I'm excited about Yoki Haru because, you know, a couple things. Number one, just from what I saw of him when I saw him play – in person um, this fall, you know, he's just got some great ability coming up the ice with the puck. And, um, you know, I remember what Pete Rutili said, who's his agent when we had him on the show. I mean, you know, Pete was very high on his, his innate competitiveness. And, you know, that's the thing that, that really made Duncan Keith, Duncan Keith was his competitiveness. Cause when he came up, he weighed 165 pounds, Yeah, you know, and Jonathan Taves, I mean, what's really made him a great player or was a great player was his competitiveness. He's a extremely, competitive individual so you know you combine talent with competitiveness and a guy like yoki are you okay so you got something there you can do something with that you know and um but again when's he going to be ready i don't you know people start talking about him playing in the nhl next year really he's in junior yeah yeah it's just again i mean we i think that if if the plan is for this team to be contending next year again just like last summer they got they gonna they got to find some answers that are ready to play in the nhl now yeah, or playing in the NHL now. Yeah, and, and that's why we, we go all the way back to the Eric Gustafson thing. Like, you would think that, uh, you know, maybe Gustav Forsling taking that next step up, or if 
say Henry Yokihara was ready for to play in the NHL, you would think those guys would be the replacement for Eric Gustafson. Not bringing Eric Gustafson back to then yeah. take up another roster spot and you know uh, and going all the way back to the summer when they when they signed uh, Patrick Sharp. And everyone's like, well, that's only $800,000, no big deal. No, But it's a roster spot that they have now, you know, cemented him into that roster spot, which you couldn't bring in a younger guy, better guy, whatever, to put in that spot. And now he's getting scratched. They're forcing him to play now because they have to, but he's done them no good. Why are you filling these roster spots up and taking these contract spaces up with guys that, you know, that, that are dead weight? That's yeah. where, that's where, you know, I agree with you on that. So. Yeah. I don't, I, you know, the, the other thing was watch, watching the, the game yesterday. I, you know, again, I, I still am not convinced that Vinny Henestrosa is going to be some kind of a second coming of Marty St. Louis. But God, I like what he brings on the ice, man. I'm, I just love his intensity and speed and his energy. Um, and, you know, his, his, he, he's a guy who's just not afraid. He's fearless. Um, and, and I, you know, I just love what he brings when he's out there. And, and again, I, whether the guy's five foot seven, like Henestrosa, or he's six foot seven. Just that competitiveness and that drive and that energy. They just they need more of that up and down the lineup. And yeah. you know, guys who can take that and turn it into opportunities and 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 creating opportunities on the ice at both ends. I mean, they just they got too many guys who just go out and just sort of make the same mistakes over and over again and um just don't seem you know, that was what I liked about Kempney. I love the fact that Kempney his mistakes were mistakes of overaggression. I can work with that. You yeah, know, right. You can, you can pull that guy back, but uh, you know, a guy who's going to, who's going to hit somebody, a guy who's, who can absolutely fly on his skates and get to pucks that other guys can't get to, um, you know, instead of guys like Dahlstrom, who you, you're sitting here kind of, you know, debating, does he have NHL speed? <laughs> Cause he doesn't have much else. Yeah. I right. Mean, it's like, come on. Yeah. You know? So I just, Again, it's, 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 I think it's both, it is, you know, maybe it is an attitude and a tone in the locker room. And if that changed or when that changes, it'll, it'll change some of this, but I think it's also the personnel. Um, It just, it just seems like it's become incredibly deficient over the last year and a half. Yeah. That's, that's why I'm super frustrated with the whole, you know, the team's going to look very similar next year. I, Uh, I, you can't bring back a bad team and add Corey Crawford to it and make everything better. Nope. You have to change things that it, it just doesn't make any sense. One, one, you know, one plus one does not equal three. Uh, yeah. I don't know. Uh, the other thing is too, is I think they have a lot of, and you know, going to the other end of the ice, they have a lot of skilled forwards, um, but they have a lot of skilled, but small forwards who, unlike Vincent Estroza, who plays pretty big, they've got a lot of skilled, but small forwards who play kind of small. And, you know, when, when you're the closest thing to a road grader you have on offense is Jonathan Taves and Brandon Saad, um, who are good players. And, you know, they, they can mix it up to a degree down low. But I think I just think they need at, at least two forwards who have some size and some speed, um, you know, and again, guys who can play because um, it may John Hayden may not be the answer. He may not have the skill level to be that guy. And Lance Baum is not that guy. Right. Um, and Tommy Wingles, as much as I like him, if he comes back, he's going to be more of a depth winger type of guy yeah. or a utility guy you can spot. But, you know, they need they need at least one, you know, sort of like Milan Lucic 2.0 would be a great addition to this team. Um, 
they just need they need some size and some pushback and some ability. You know, when the other team has just has shut things down in the defensive zone and and they're daring you to try to get inside, they need a guy who can dare and get there. Right. You know, uh, yeah. you know uh, Anisimov is sort of that guy, but he's just he's he's a boat anchor speed wise. You know. Right. Um, yeah. Well, you and then you got these reclamation projects like, you know, Anthony Duclair and Thomas Yurko. I'm like, I don't know, you know, it's all good and well. You wanted to give a a chance to a young player and they look good for a little while. But I mean, how much is Thomas Yurko going to give you? How much is Anthony Duclair going to give you at this point? I mean, I think Duclair gives Duclair gives, I think, more than uh, Yurko does. I don't I have no time for you, Thomas Yurko. I'm sorry, I don't. No, and and again, these are guys that I'm afraid that Bowman is going to give them second and third and fourth chances, feeling like he's got to redeem himself, you know, by these guys ultimately someday succeeding. And it's like I said when they when they went out and traded uh, Richard Ponick for um, for Duclair. Duclair is there's a reason he's bounced around. And this is his third organization, and he's 22. And, yeah, and uh, you know. Um, he, he he's exciting to watch, you know, flying up and down the ice with that speed and athleticism, but there doesn't seem to be a lot of finish there. And, and he's clearly not a guy who's going to kind of create offense himself. Um, and you know, Yurko, same thing. Yurko looks great going up and down the ice, but what does he do? Yeah. Um, and they, they need guys who, who do stuff. <laughs> you know? yeah, I mean, right. I hate to oversimplify it, but, um, it's just, it, this is this, you know, like when you look at teams like Washington or 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 Nashville, um, they have a lot of big, effective, hard to play against guys who can also play hockey. You know, um, like Tom Wilson, um, you know, or Kevin Fiala, guys like that who are just hard to play against and effective, and always seem to kill the Hawks too. Yeah, um, yeah. the Hawks need more guys like that. Yeah, like well, I mentioned the other day, Anthony Duclair. Reminds me of uh, a younger version of uh, Mr. Uh, Victor Stahlberg. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, he's got no, he, he like you said, he's got no finish, but he's got no Swedish either. What? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, you know, you know it's very know, difficult for a man of my intelligence out. to handle. <laughs> Back in a box, Laz. But, you know, Declare could go out tomorrow night and score a couple of goals and, you know, we, we, we would probably feel somewhat different about him. We're probably hard on him because he hasn't been producing lately and so be it, you know. But, uh, again, I mean, you know, it just they, – they, they, you know, because, again, this team oh, – I'll tell you the other stat that I dug up. I was telling you yeah, about this earlier. So I was looking at the Hawks' shots attempted for the year. They're, the Hawks are first in the NHL in shots attempted. Um, the second place team in shots attempted is the Pittsburgh Penguins, but they're about three. So the Hawks have like 3,400 shots that they've attempted this year. The Penguins have attempted 3,100. Then you look at actual shots on net shots that have gotten to the net. The Hawks and Penguins are within 10 shots of each other. So there's a 300 shot gap in terms of shots attempted, but there's a 10 shot gap in terms of the, the shots that have actually made it to the net, which means that at least in terms of comparison with, with Pittsburgh, which is the team that's closest to them in, in these, in these rankings, the Hawks are, are just not getting a lot of pucks on net. Now, why is that? 
Now we could we could all argue. We could all say, we, "Well, it's just Duncan Keith. He doesn't. He never." Yeah, I was going to say the Duncan Keith special. It's bigger than Duncan Keith, though. Yeah, and I think a lot of it has to do with the number of shots they're taking from the perimeter that are either getting blocked or missing the net because they're not getting a lot of shots close in because they don't get guys in close to the net very much. I, I really think, and I, I think if you, if we dug into those statistics, if we you know if they still kept those high quality scoring chance statistics. I think you'd see that that the Hawks are are just getting pushed out to the perimeter so much. Um, so again, I mean, th- this is something they've got to address. In terms, they've got a lot of small skill forwards. I mean, Nick Schmaltz has had like four goals in the last five games, but they all they all seem to come in the third period when the other team stopped playing because they're up by seven goals. Yeah, right. Exactly. <laughs> <You know? laughs> yeah, that's like scoring, and, uh, you know, a bunch of empty net goals. Yeah, and so I, I just think again, I think that it can be deceiving. Um, to see these guys start padding their stats when, in fact, I mean, there are some deficiencies there. Right, right, for sure. Well, I don't want to, I don't want to harp on the defense too long. I think we have for a long time here, but I think uh, you, you were kind of, uh, ta- we were talking earlier about maybe uh, kind of bringing up the whole goalie thing again, uh, the backup goalie, all that that situation. I don't know. Uh, what do you, what do you, what are you seeing, or what have you changed your mind any since the last time we talked? Um. On goalies, I, yeah. Well, you know, it was funny. I thought that Forsberg actually battled and had a pretty good game against LA, and then they kind of they came back with the next day against Anaheim, and um, I got pulled away from the TV after the first two goals. And but you know, on the first two goals, I almost you know it's almost like, what do you want the guy to do? I mean, there's there's a, a posing forward right on top of him with the puck, and nobody's challenging him. Yeah, you know, and a lot, any good NHL forward is probably going to finish that chance. I mean, he he would have to like really pull uh, a horseshoe out of his pads to stop those pucks. Yeah, and you know, so he's automatically down two to nothing because the Hawk defense decided they didn't want to play. So I, you know, and I guess he he gave up four by the by the second period, including those two, um, and then they brought Baruby in and he gave he gave it one or two up right away, I think, and. Um, so, you know, at this point, I still think that, you know, Forsberg's the guy that if, if you're going to have, if you're going to keep one of those guys around, I think it's him. And, but you, you got to kind of stick with him and develop them. And the other, the other problem is, is I don't think that, that they're getting a lot of defensive support. I mean, Baruby the night he gave up, I think what, six in San Jose, I don't think he had a lot of defensive support either. So it's just hard to evaluate him. No, I, 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 I even pointed it out because I recapped that game. Uh, the first five goals, I, I don't know that I've seen a game, a Blackhawks game at least in the last decade, where a goalie had less of a chance than on those five goals. He had no chance at all. And the sixth goal was a, a BS goal. It was banked off his the back of his leg with three seconds left or two points. Yeah, he kind of screwed that one up, though. He kind of he kind of misplayed that puck and... Yeah, he lost track of the guy behind the net. Yeah, I mean that was a at that point you're down five. You know, you've given up five goals, and and the game's already out of hand by that point already. Yeah. So, um, you know, I'm not going to fault him on that one because really the entire team screwed up on that one. Uh, The defense was standing there like they'd never seen a loose puck before. He probably shouldn't have let the puck go. I mean, it was there was a number of things that went wrong on that one. But the five previous goals, like. There's backdoor goals and, and, and all these, you know, breakaways and all these things where these forwards, they're NHL forwards, they should score on these ones, you know? If a goalie yeah. makes a save, that's really not the norm. No. So, um, you know, and and then, uh, 
you know, Forsberg comes in and he, you know, he didn't have much more help uh, as far as that goes. You know, neither one has played exceptionally well. Uh, Forsberg did play a little bit better in the Kings game with that. Um, you know, and the Blackhawks came back at the end, but they were again they were down three to one with ten minutes to go in the end of the game. I mean, for all intents and purposes, that game was almost over with. The the, the Kings just collapsed. Yeah. Uh, so I don't know, man. Uh, neither one is really, you know, I I. I Personally, just my opinion is I like Barubi better than Forsberg a little bit, but uh, there's nothing to really make him stand out any more than Forsberg. I, I'm still with that Forsberg, um, you know, is their back is what they have right now as far as the goalie of the future. Um, I shout out to my boy Colin Delia, uh, but I don't think he's ready to be an NHL backup just yet. Yeah, you know, he's I, I don't. I don't know if Forsberg is ever going to be a number one in the NHL. Yeah. But I think the goal with him would be to get him coached up and get him confident and consistent enough to where he could be, um, you know, an effective backup for Corey Crawford next year. Um, and maybe that's the best you ever get out of him. But I mean, cause he's, I mean, I I'll say this, he's had stretches this year where he's been really, really good. And then he's had a, some real stinker games. So that inconsistency is, is you'd think is something that can be coached out of him, And, uh, because he's got the size and his technique when he's on, he's pretty good. And uh, but uh, I don't know if he, I don't know if I would I would even go out to say that he's the goalie of the future. I'm not sure the goalie of the future is in the organization right now. Yeah, it might not be. Um, yeah, but I, you know, it's if Corey Crawford's not coming back next year, it's going to be trouble. Yeah, that, then you're then it's like you know you you can talk well, you can say what you want, but you're you, if you're not in rebuilding mode, you should be. Yeah, right. <laughs> For sure, you for know. sure. All right. Well, I think that uh, I, I I think we've kind of hashed out most of the Blackhawks stuff. Yeah. Uh, um. We could take a couple. We could uh, address a couple questions here. Let's do that. Um. Johnny Utah, uh, uh, who's our favorite uh, Artemi Panarin, uh, Brandon Sod guy. Uh, if you were the owner of the Blackhawks, what moves were you making this off season? Also, what was the deal with our bench when Taze fought Kessler? It makes me think that there's a bigger issue going on behind the scenes. And to parlay onto that, uh, Jennifer Lesniak sent in a question. She's a first-time uh, question asker. She said, uh, can, you, um, can you talk about what it means when people say that the team is disinterested or not showing urgency? I feel like this term gets thrown around when the team is getting outplayed or aren't as good as the other team. But she also said, do you guys take it, uh, just take it as an off day or is it something else? So they're kind of, I don't know, they're kind of a little bit um, correlated a little bit. Uh, we kind of talked a little bit about what we should they should do in the offseason, so I don't want to um, belabor too much on that part of it. But um, what was the deal with the Taze fighting Kessler thing? I don't know. You, you got any opinion on that? Uh, I don't, other than the fact that just the team overall, the whole tone and, and, and manner of the team feels very apathetic. Um and, uh, you know, it, there's that old adage that it, they talk about with a team like this, that the guys should, should be playing for jobs. Yeah. I don't know. In your opinion, how many of these guys feel like they're playing for jobs? I, I'm, I'm not sure about that. Only the guys with the big contracts at this point. Well, they're not yeah. even playing for their jobs because, um, you know, they've got that security. But the guys who yeah. are going to be free agents and stuff, they, uh, I don't know, man. Other than Vinny Henestrosa. What do you got? Yeah. 
Finney goes out. I mean, that guy goes out and plays hard every shift. I mean, he's he's just flying out there and he's he's fearless. And I, you know, I'm a fan of Vinny Henestrosa how he plays the game. And um, I hope they find a, the the perfect role for him next year because I just feel like he creates so many opportunities just with his energy and his speed. And uh, they need more of that. Yeah. Um. Yeah, I mean, I, and my opinion is is this this team just they're kind of throwing their hands up like they don't know what to do. Nothing seems to work. Uh, they just don't have the personnel that they need to be successful. I don't think. And uh, they're trying what they can with what they've got, and it's just not working. So now they're just like they're 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 doing the you know the dead man walking. Pretty much. Yeah. The, the, you know, the thousand yard stare or whatever cliche you want to bring up, man, that's what they're doing. They're just, they, they want to ride the season out. They want, they want to skip March and end the season and be done with it and uh, take a mulligan on this season. But um, like Jennifer said too, um, can you talk about what it means when people say they're, they look disinterested? I mean, that's kind of what it is. Uh, they're, you know, you look at a loose puck and you look at kind of Duncan Keith kind of just half-heartedly reaching out to try and look like he's doing something. He's not really, he's not fighting for it. You're not, you know, you're not the team, the whole team in general is just not fighting for loose pucks much. Uh, they're not fighting for rebounds. They're not trying to, you know, clear rebounds for their goalie. Um, yeah, the thing that concerns me about that is that 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 issue of you know getting beaten on a lot of 50 50 pucks i mean that's been a that's been a problem all year um yeah. there's been there were games early in the season when the hawks were not eliminated um and not thoroughly humiliated and and you know bereaved or whatever the term would be i mean where they they just a lot of games they came out and they they just didn't seem to give a lot of effort and i think you know that goes back to the um you know the rumored um you know, that, that they've tuned out Quenville. I don't know. I mean, you know, I, I've, I've been a, a Joel Quenville fan, but um, boy, something has not been right about this team since like about the third game of the year. Yeah. And, and, uh, and players can have off games, but the entire team shouldn't be having multiple off games in a row. Uh, no. They have way more off games than they have on games. And that's either a, that's either a bad team or, you know, you just need, you know, a, a reset with, with an off season and start over again. Yeah. So, um, Ken Kallenbach said, uh, what's Bowman's biggest flaw doubling down on his mistakes or not being on the same or, uh, not being on the same page with his head coach. What do you think? Uh, I, well, you know, as far as the head coach, that's sort of a, it takes two to tango, you know, I mean, um, it's not really Bowman's job to conform his will and his plan to the head coach. And, and ostensibly it's the other way around because the head coach works for the GM. Um, and, um, and I, I love Ken. I mean, he's a smart guy and, you know, I talked to him a lot. So I, you know, um, but I, I think, I, I think that doubling down on his decisions, I mean, you know, like for example, when he, when he turned around after he traded for Anisimov and, and gave him a new contract with a year left on his old, old deal three days after he traded for him. And, and, um, you know, it, it's that sort of thing. It's like almost like sort of a defiant, you know, I know I'm right and I'll show you I'm right. I'm going to overpay this guy. 
know? Yeah. Or, uh, you know, or I'm going to sign this guy to a contract, but I don't have to sign him to a contract, but he's my guy. And, um, and now you're going to use him. Right. And, uh, you know, I, I, I do think, you know, like, like this Gustafson thing, again, it may be part of a larger plan and I'm, I'm going to reserve judgment on that. And I'm, but yeah, I do think that, that Bowman has a tendency to kind of, um, almost want to validate his, his own questionable decisions by, by giving the guy a contract. <laughs> and, um, that's not ultimately, I think a really good way to do business no, in the it's NHL. Not. No, it's not. I mean, you, 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 you have to be able to recognize your mistakes and fix them. And, yeah, and again, uh, you know, we may be singing Eric Gustafson's praises next year, but I don't know. I'm going to have to see it. something I haven't seen yet. I don't know. I doubt it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, uh, and the last one from our boy, Shy Sox history, uh, is Q bad at player development? <laughs> yeah, I, I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to start off on this one by saying, I don't think Q is interested in player development at all. I think it's here. You guys develop these guys and then give them to me and then I will put you know, and, and I will work from there. I don't, I, I honestly don't see him working on developing young players himself. Maybe the you know the the the, the uh, coaching staff, or you know in Rockford or whatever, but I don't see at this stage in his career Joel Quenville being a guy who's developing young talent. I'm sorry, I don't. Um, I'm gonna I'm gonna come back the other way. I think I think he gets a bad rap there. Um, I think that whether you go back to Nicholas Jalmerson in 2009. Um, who was a young player and came up and, and Q put him in there and said, just, you're my guy and go. And he just, he wrote him hard and, and he, it didn't stop for seven, eight years. Um, and then, and uh, Brandon Sod in 2011, um, Marcus Kruger in or Brandon Sod in 2013, Mark, Marcus Kruger in 2011. And most recently this year, Alex Debrinkat. Um, I think that, you know, Q has done a pretty good job with him and, you know, DeBrinket's game has improved, you know, um, slowly and steadily over the course of the year. And uh, there were a lot of us, myself included, and, and yourself included, who, you know, were, were questioning that. And so I think, I think, I, I, I don't think that's really fair. I think but I, there are, there are young players um, who he, he just has no patience with. And conversely, great, our Jordan Osterley, um, you know, Q has really, shown a tremendous amount of belief in this guy, even though he does kind of struggle in his end quite a bit. And, but for some reason, Q really likes him. So I don't know. I think, I don't, I don't think that's a fair criticism of him. Yeah, I, don't, I disagree. Cause I, I think he yeah. just picks a guy that he likes. He, he sees something he well, likes I, in a guy yeah, and he I just, agree. he hitches his trailer to the guy. And then you got like Connor Murphy, who's got to bust his balls to get in that Great. and stay in that lineup. And I don't, I don't see and Michael Kempney, same thing. Yeah, I don't see that any one of you know either one of those guys have been any worse than Jordan o- Jordan Osterley. Yet, in some ways, no, I I would agree with you. Yeah, and, and I don't you know I don't think that you know Connor Murphy's still in the lineup, luckily, but he kind of has to be at this point. But I mean, <laughs> I, he hasn't played that horribly. I mean, they, they Quenville made him play on his offside that he'd never done in his career. Yeah. And he actually played pretty, pretty well that way. Yeah, that right there good. should probably redeem you in your coach's, you know, eyes that you you have now shown that you are that flexible. And yet 
he still kind of gets the runaround. Joe Nosherly can, you know, pretty much not see the defensive side of the ice for a couple of games. Doesn't get yeah. sat, nothing like that. I mean, now they have to play him because Root is hurt. But it, it, I don't, I don't see that as is is being good player development by by picking favorites. Picking favorites does not does not do well for young players when when you see that you're going to come in and the coach is going to just you know pick a guy because he likes whatever his attitude or whatever you know cliche you you throw out there yeah that to me does not you know as far as a coach goes that that that's not player development to me so i don't know that's i'm not saying he's the worst in the world i'm just saying i don't necessarily think that he's that great at it um, I, the Brandon Saad thing too. I mean, he kind of came in pre-made. I don't know if there was any yeah. development there. Well, I mean, the first 25 games or so that year, he was kind of a deer in the headlights and I think Taves and Hulsa were getting a little impatient with him. And then just all of a sudden the lights went on and, and he just started to click. And, um, uh, so yeah, I mean, again, but again, I mean, he, he, there's guys that he will roll out there who are who, who don't appear to be ready at first, and they'll stick with them, and then th- it happens. And then there are other guys that he just doesn't seem to want to give a consistent shot to, and and or no shot at all. He doesn't just yeah. like you know Trevor Daly. I mean, if he wasn't <laughs> if he wasn't well, making he the money he was making, he may have never seen the ice in Chicago. Yeah, and he's yeah. not a horrible player. He's not the greatest player in the world. He's not going to win a Norris Trophy, but he's not the hor- you know. You're you're playing some other guys in there like you know, he, you know Kyle Kamiski and, and and you know David uh, David Runblad and oh god, <laughs> you know I I, I it, it, it it's befuddling sometimes. So yeah, it just it just further further sort of proves that 20, 2015 was really kind of a miraculous season for this team. Yeah, and 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 the other you thing know? too between between Bowman and Quenville, I mean. I think you have to know what you have in a coach and what kind of system they need to succeed. And then you have to try and give them that rather than just going out and signing whatever you can get and whatever you like, and then throw it on the ice and send, make it work. Yeah. And I think, well, I think what the dynamic you just described, uh, I think that's clearly been the case. Um, the last, especially this year, um, and there seems to be a little bit of a disconnect there. And I, I, it, it really is becoming evident now that, you know, whether it was Trevor Daly, um, you know, coming in and re- replacing Johnny Oduya, or it was uh, um, uh, Connor Murphy coming in and replacing Nicholas Jomerson, you kind of get the sense that when that happens, Quinville is going to not give that replacement guy much of a shot. Yeah, um, I agree. It's almost like he's pissed off and, and he's just going to, he's just not going to let it work. And uh, that's a problem. You know, yeah, yeah. That, and that both is these guys change. have contracts. You know, it's like how do you how do you handle that? Yeah, yeah. And and yeah. And, and you you kind of brought up like you know earlier like you know in 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 two thousand nine with Jamerson stuff. That's like almost a decade ago. So you know he may have been a little better at like maybe developing or or being more willing to develop a player a decade ago than he is later in his career. That's kind of how maybe I how I kind of see it that he's kind of like, I've been doing this for too long. I'm not going to be, you know, babysitting little kids. Like 
you you develop them, you give them to me ready to go, and if they're not ready to go, I'm not playing them kind of thing, unless I really like how they their attitude is or whatever. Yeah, know. you know, the thing is, though, I think I think we're, we're kind of looking at this um, a little bit um, with blinders on because I, I, the way I look at it is, is Quenville is still trying to run the team like he did in 2015, but he doesn't have the talent he had in 2015. Oh, no, he doesn't. And yet, you know, it, it, there's people say, well, you need to conform the, the system to the talent. I don't think you need – if the talent's not there, it doesn't matter if you conform the system. Um, and to me, you know, the the, the at the end of the day, I mean, the, the capstone I'm going to put on this season is – is that you know the GM did not provide the talent, and then the coach didn't didn't really do anything with it either. And yeah, I, uh, I can completely agree with you on that. Yeah, and I, I at the end of the day, if they're looking for for people to blame, blame them both. Um, and I don't know what you do with that because like they both have years left in their contracts, and the, the sense you get is they're not gonna they're not gonna you know clean house. Um, but I you know. I think I think there's there's plenty of blame to go around, and and those two guys starts with them. Yeah, both of them. Yeah, and 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 uh, this whole you know firing uh, assistant coaches thing is just old, and it and it has shown that it really doesn't change a whole lot of anything. So well, yeah, I mean, I don't know. There was there was from what I heard, there were a lot of people who were ready for Kitchen to go when he went, but it has it helped? No, I don't think it has. No, you know, so no, so all right. Well, yeah, I, I think we're good to go there. I think we're good. With, I think we said everything we have to say. We've said what we have to say. Yeah, we're done. <laughs> that's, that's true. Um, so you can find all of our wonderful content on www.the-rink.com. You can find us on all the popular social media at the rink official. That's Instagram, Facebook, uh, and the Twitters, the Twitter machine. Uh, you can also find our stuff on LinkedIn as well. Uh, I'm, I'm now replicating all of our stuff on LinkedIn. Uh, at the Ringcast, you can follow that account as well for the Ringcast itself. You can find me on the Twitters at Puck and Hostel, and you, Mister Jekyll, at J A E C K E L. Uh, if you get a chance, please head over to iTunes, rate and review us, and please subscribe to the uh, Ringcast. I'm seeing we're getting a lot more downloads. I really like what what where we're trending here. I want to thank everyone for listening. I want to thank everyone for subscribing and. Uh, Please feel free to, to yes, take take a you. second and review. I'll read it on the air. If you want to get on the air, you didn't want to, you know, ask a question or you didn't couldn't think of a question, put a review up. I will read it for you, um, so you can get your name out there on the air. So, um, I get a couple of last plugs. First one I want to say is, uh, again, shout out to my boy Colin Delia in Rockford. He's kicking some butt. Uh, if you, uh, Mario put up a, an article today about how. Uh, Colin's really kicking butt out there and, uh, he's really come a long way from being, you know, kind of the, the, the 50, 50 in Indy to now being what may be, you know, the starter in Rockford, the unquestioned starter in Rockford. So that's great. Yeah. So, uh, shout out to him and his family. And, uh, one, uh, quick thing, um, Matt Morrill, uh, got hold of me and he said, uh, he wanted me to pass this along, um, Jim Cornelison will be singing a national anthem for a little, uh, uh, it's like a charity proceed for Josh's fund. It's a lymphoma research thing. Um, it's at UIUC ice arena on Friday, March 30th at 8 PM, $5, uh, to get in. 
Uh, the skaters are members of the SIG Ep- Delts. I don't even know what these are. <laughs> I'm not a fraternity Sigma guy. Epsilon Delta? Yeah. I'm not a fraternity yeah. guy, but, um, and the proceeds <laughs> will, will benefit. Uh, oh, we can find somebody who is. <laughs> yeah. The, <laughs> the proceeds will uh, benefit uh, the charity for Josh's fund, Lymphoma Research. Um, if you find uh, Matt Morrow's Twitter account, it's mmorrow97. Uh, he's got a link to um, to go sign up and get tickets for that. So I just wanted to do him a little uh, a little solid and send that information out. If anyone's interested in, in, in being involved in that, please do. So, uh, uh, John, you got anything you want to shout out? Uh, yes, I want to make a shout out to our sponsors, P-U-C-K-H-C-K-Y, puckhockey.com. Um, go check them out. Use the T-H-E-R-I-N-K uh, 10% discount for some great hockey-themed apparel, including the soon-to-be unveiled and launched worldwide. Uh, well, really. <laughs> yeah, I guess it's worldwide. Yeah. Um, the rink.com uh, line from Puck Hockey. Um, we're really excited about it. I know we've been talking about it for what seems like months. It, it has been months. Um, and uh, But that will be dropping soon, and we're going to you know be posting a lot of uh, – Picks on our um, on our social media and uh, on the website, and uh, you guys can um, dive in on that pretty soon. And uh, they're good people. Um, we 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 enjoy working with them. And uh, other than that, no, I don't I don't really have any particular plugs right now. Um, I'm gonna but, throw uh, I'm gonna throw one well, last thing in there, and it's just it. popped up. Just popped do up. It. Our boy Matt Zawaski, Southside Zoe. Yeah. Shout out to our boy. He just yeah. posted up uh, about 8.17 tonight. Um, and I'm going to read this verbatim from what he posted up. When the 312 podcast started, it was three pals talking Chicago sports. Well, the 312 won't be the same show anymore. Personal attacks aren't necessary and won't happen. Just know that we appreciated all that tuned in and messaged us weekly. I might not be the best host in the game, and I might get a little long-winded on stuff. I know how that goes. But I love Chicago, Chicago sports, and most importantly, Chicago sports fans. I still have a lot to say and will find a new way to talk to you about Chicago sports. So stay tuned, and especially now, be good to each other in Chicago. This is Zoe signing off for now. P.S. Have Mike. Will travel. That's our boy. A shout out. Yeah, it's his birthday today. I want everyone that listens to this to give, give... uh, Matt Zawaski, some uh, words of encouragement because, um, you know, it's his birthday. He's a good dude. He's had us on his podcast a couple of I times. Think, I think it's fair to say that there are many people who have supported us and elevated us and promoted us, you know, in the four months now we've been we've been going here. But probably nobody more than Zoe. Zoe's a man. Uh, He's our guy. And, uh, you know, it's funny because uh, I was going to mention to Josh Friedman that, you know, if you, there's a guy that he might want to have on his on his show, you know, from from the blogosphere, it would be Zoe. Um, yeah. And uh, so, Josh, if you're listening, think about that. And, um, you know, but, yeah, Zoe, you're going to you're going to be good, dude. And uh, we uh, we will support you wherever you go. Yeah, we'll have him on again. And yeah, uh, Foran and Pappy. Yeah, Pappy. Those guys yeah. are, are, are are some great guys. They've been nothing but supportive of, of what we're doing here, and we, we, we support the hell out of them too. So 
Uh, it's yeah. Hawks fans uh, sticking together and, uh, you know, through a little bit of adversity. So, uh, yeah. Give, give our, give our boys though some words of encouragement. Yeah. So I think that just about wraps it up. So everyone, thanks for taking the time out of your busy schedules to download, listen, and support us until next episode. See you on the rink.